Am I on? Yeah, okay. Anybody ever experience um, worry? <laughs> How about anxiety? Anxious, worrisome. I mean, know that Jesus has something to say to us about that. This morning and next week, it's a two-part little series, okay? Such an important subject. I want us to look and, and read, um, read the passage we've been studying for the past couple of weeks, beginning of verse 19, because it does lead to, and it's connected to, the succeeding passage, uh, beginning at verse 25, when Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious. So if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, just read right along with me. He says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? Now recall that he, he, he uses the term I, but, the word, but that term really is reflective of what? Our hearts. So read that as our heart. Then he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he he gives us that passage. He speaks to us. And he's talking to us in that passage about one particular perspective. What is that perspective? Do you recall? An unswerving loyalty to kingdom values. That's what he's talking about in that particular passage. And that, that gives way. You'll notice... In verse 25, what's the very first word of verse 25? Therefore. So he sets the stage with those first verses, and he talks to us about our loyalty, and our loyalty should be that of, of just absolute commitment to him and to his value system. We have been committed to this world's value system, hadn't we? All of us have come out of the world. All of us were at some point non-believers, and for some marvelous reason, and by God's grace, he called this, caused the scales to fall off of our eyes, and we saw like we'd never seen before. We commit our way to Jesus. And where we were committed to the values of this world, because that's all we ever knew, we grew up with that stuff. It only made sense to us. Now a whole new world opens up, right? The spiritual realm. And we make the shift, if you will, in our understanding and in our will, in our heart, we make the shift to God's kingdom and to his values. And Jesus says, now, I, I, I want unswerving loyalty to me, to my kingdom, to my values. He says it again and again, lots of different ways throughout the Gospels. Uh, if you're going to be my disciple... What must you do? 
What? Yeah, you, you must what? Deny yourself. Be willing to pick up the cross and follow me. Does that sound like unswerving loyalty? Absolutely. He says in another place, if you love me, what will you do? You'll obey me. He doesn't demand. He says if. He gives a choice to us. So we say yes or no. Either I'm going to follow you, I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly, or I'm just, I'm not going to do it. It's one or the other. We sang that song. Uh, you know, it, it's not, I'm going to lay down all my pride. We'd like to be able to say we can do that, but it's a matter of learning how to lay down that pride, isn't it? How to die to ourselves. And so he, he launches into the second part of his discussion, beginning in verse 25. He says, therefore, because once we make a commitment to his kingdom, that leaves a lot of unknowns, doesn't it? We go, yeah, but what if, what if? So he's, he anticipates that. He says, look, once you commit yourself, unswerving loyalty, I know, I know you're going to have some doubts. I know you're going to worry. I know you're going to be anxious about stuff that you're giving up, giving away your, your old lifestyle. So he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Yeah, but. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or what you're, about your body, what you wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Boy, that is true, isn't it? So in that passage... He articulates two, two perspectives. The first, as we already said, is an unswerving loyalty to his kingdom and to his values. And the second, reflected in that second passage, is an uncompromised trust in him. Uncompromised. Either you trust him or don't. You can't just partially trust God. Either you trust him or you don't. Uncompromised trust. Again, the word therefore, beginning in verse 25, connects what he said about kingdom values to not worrying. How many know that sin is a very subtle thing? And Satan is very subtle. Very subtle. And it doesn't matter very much to Satan what form 
sin takes in our life as long as he succeeds in his ultimate objective. It is absolutely immaterial to him whether you are storing up treasures in heaven or you're worrying about earthly things. All he is concerned about is that in your mind, you should be focused on these things, not on God. That's his ultimate objective. Is this world distracting? Things this world distracting? All sorts of things, huh? And everything, everything is working against us in the sense of keeping us from being focused on him, keeping us from seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now you may think you've won this great battle against Satan because you've conquered him when he came in that front door and talked to you about storing up treasure on earth. He said, ha, 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 ha. I'm not storing up my treasure on earth. I'm storing my treasure in heaven. So you may think you won that battle when he's come in your front door or tried to. But before you're aware of it, he comes in through the back door. He comes in through the back door and tries to cause you to be anxious or worry about stuff. They're both equally destructive. Destructive to your life and to your relationship. And if you hadn't noticed, he's unrelenting. He never gives up. He sends wave after wave after wave of anxious thoughts, worrisome things, things to to possess, things to want. Loyalty to kingdom values, when you're really loyal to him, means, quite frankly, that you reject any and all subservience to any earthly thing, whether that subservience evidences itself in just accumulating endlessly or if it is something that is stamped by some frenetic, faithless, worried scurry after the necessities of life. And we do that. Sometimes we can be like little gerbils on that wheel, just... And we end up frustrating ourselves. The believer is not to worry about necessities, Jesus says. Not about food, not about drink, not about a body, not about clothing. Not to worry. The phrase, do not worry, in the NIV is also translated, don't be anxious, in the ESV. The idea is, Don't be anxious. Don't be overly concerned and caring. You can have genuine concerns. But not let those concerns slide over into worry and anxiety. And it can easily happen. It can easily happen. In other words, we're to stop worrying and never start it again. Is that possible? Is it possible to make a decision and say, that's it. I'm going to stop worrying, and I'm not going to worry ever again. Is that possible? Yes, it is! (laughs) Have you never made a decision about something and you moved on? You said, that's it, I'm done, no more. We call that repentance, don't we? It is possible. It is possible to say, you know what? I'm done with worrying. I'm done with being anxious. No more. You can make that decision. 
when you realize how destructive worry and anxiety are to your life and how those things really do cause you to focus away from God's kingdom. You end up living a frustrating life. No one wants to live that kind of life, isn't that true? It just requires some personal discipline, that's all. I have much that I'm concerned about. Much that I'm concerned about. But I refuse to worry. I refuse to be anxious. I will not go there. Why? Because I know who's on the throne. I know who's in charge. I may not understand what's going on. I may not have all the details. But I promise you, he does. I trust him. He has revealed to me his faithfulness again and again and again and again and again. I have no reason to doubt him. I have no reason to be anxious. I have no reason to be worrywart. But some of us are, are genuine worrywarts, and we don't even know that we worry. It's so much part of us. We think it's normal. You might want to ask God, you know, God, show me if I'm a worrywart. <laughs> Reveal that to me so I can make a decision no longer to be a worrywart. Worry is a sin. How many knew that? It's a sin. It's a sin. It's the sin of distrusting the promise and the providence of God. Has God made good promises to us? Absolutely. Are his promises sure? It's a distrust of his promises and his providence. God, the Bible tells us that God is absolutely sovereign over everything. He is at work in our life. Someone's in control. Even when I feel out of control, someone's in control. Is that good news? Sure it is. See, Jesus... Jesus is telling us, he says, because earthly treasures don't satisfy us. And they don't last. Have you noticed that? Saturday night, last night, the service Saturday night, we were talking about earthly treasures. And I just asked for some random things that people, people want, earthly treasures. Someone said television. And then it went from that to HD television. And then super HD. And then 100-inch screens. I mean, it just kept escalating. And that stuff, in the beginning, we go, wow, look at that. Isn't that cool? We invite our friends over. Look at that. But is it really satisfying? It really isn't. I mean, when it comes right down to it. And it doesn't last because sooner or later, that thing's going to burn out and break, isn't it? And then you go by the next 200-inch television. <laughs> no, he tells us because earthly treasures don't satisfy, they don't last. He says because moral and spiritual vision is easily distorted and darkened. He tells us because the kingdom of God demands unswerving loyalty. Therefore, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about this stuff. Just as earthly possessions can become an idol 
And idols depose God, don't they? And just as earthly possessions can become an idol that deposes God by becoming disproportionately important. They just take on a whole whole significance in our life. We, We never realize it. This is really important. This is really important that I have this whatever. You fill in the blank. Because if I don't get it, I'm what? I'm devastated. And so also can earthly needs become a source of worry which deposes God by fostering distrust. The English term worry, by the way, comes from an old German word, which means to strangle or to choke. How appropriate. And that's exactly what worry does. It's a kind of mental and emotional strangulation. And it probably causes more personal and physical afflictions than any other single cause. Worry. Worry. I read once that a, a dense fog, extensive enough to cover seven city blocks, a hundred feet deep, that that fog was composed of less than one glass of water. Isn't that amazing? Less than one glass of water divided into 60,000 million droplets. Imagine what a couple of gallons of water would do to a city. Severely disable it. And in the same way, the substance of worry, I submit to you, is nearly always extremely small compared to the size it forms on our minds and the damage it does to our lives. Someone once said, Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which, if encouraged, will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained out. You ever notice when you start worrying and getting fretting and anxious about something, you can't think about anything else? You can't think about anything else. You can't concentrate on anything else. It's just a little trickle of fear. But you get it, you let it, you let it feed, you, you start focusing on it, it just expands and expands and expands. Worry is the opposite of what do you think? Peace, faith, contentment. Contentment. Have you ever said, I'm content. I'm content. Husbands and wives are content with what God has given them and the other person, aren't they? Right? That's why our divorce courts are empty. We're content. I submit to you, worry is the opposite of contentment, which should be, I think it's fair to say, a believer's normal and consistent state of mind. I am content. I am content. The Apostle Paul says that very same thing in Philippians chapter 4. Let me read this to you. 
And I love, I love how he says it. He says, and notice this, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. At some point, I guess he wasn't content. But he learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. So I guess, despite what you might think, you can actually learn to be content. And in learning to be content, you diffuse what? Worry. I've learned to be content, whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, I love this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I've learned the secret. The secret of life is learning to be content. Not passive, not giving up, not throwing your arms up, not giving in, being content. It's an active thing. It's not a passive thing. Am I making sense? And because he learned to be content, that afforded him the ability to say what he says in verse 13, the very next verse, when he says, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. Why? Why? Because my mind isn't full, full of worry and doubt and anxiety. I'm content. I can move forward in my contentedness. You see the connection there? And where is our contentment to be found, do you think? Where is our contentment to be found? In our money. In our possessions. In other people in our life. No, where is our contentment to be found, do you think? It's in God. And it's only in God. Our contentment is to be found only in God, in His ownership. Does He own everything? The Bible tells us He does. The earth and all it contains belongs to Him. You and I, He owns us. The Bible says, you and I have been purchased with a price. What's the price? The precious blood of who? Jesus. We belong to Him. He owns us. He owns us. We find our contentment in Him. Is he in control? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God's in control? Things may look out of control. You may feel out of control, but he's in control. You can exhale. You can trust him. It's okay. It's okay. He's in control. Just don't worry. Don't be anxious. And you be content in his provision. God, whatever you choose to provide, I'm content. I know that you know me better than I know me. I know that you know my needs better than I understand them. I trust you. Whatever you choose to provide at any given moment, I will be content. That's a decision we make. That's a decision founded and based on the truth of who he is and what he does. And we only know that and have confidence because we read it in his book. He says, I'm telling you what I'm like. Read my book. You don't read his book, how are you going to know? You've got to be convinced, right? Our contentment is found only in God. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. You are my portion, O Lord. You are my portion. 
That'll preach, won't it? You are my portion. Now, as Jesus says this, he talks about not being anxious, not worrying. He is not suggesting that a person not prepare for life. He is not suggesting that a person be lazy or shiftless and thoughtless with a no-care attitude. God does not pamper laziness. Sometimes we do. We pamper laziness. We go, oh, poor baby. He doesn't do that. He does not pamper a lack of initiative or effort or planning. God means for us to be responsible, doesn't he? Psalm 10.4 tells us, I'm sorry, Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. What kind of hands bring wealth? Diligent hands. What kind of hands make a man poor? Lazy hands. In Proverbs 13.4, the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Oh, the sluggard, oh, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I wish I had that. But he gets nothing. Why? Because he's not diligent. The desires of the diligent, he says, are fully satisfied. So there's clear, the Bible clearly teaches responsibility, diligence. It doesn't teach laziness. A person has to work in order to eat. We understand that, right? A man's hunger, the Bible says a man's hunger drives him on. I get to work. In Thessalonica, in the church in Thessalonica, there were people who were lazy and they weren't working and they were a drag on the church. And they were a burden on the church. So the Apostle Paul writes to them and he says to them, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So if you're able to work and you're not working, you ought to be working. Otherwise, you're not going to eat. Don't depend on, don't be a burden on other people when you can provide easily. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says even to work extra in order to have enough to give to others. There were people who apparently weren't working. They were stealing. He says, stop stealing. Get to work. Get a job. Be responsible. And make some extra so that you can help those who are really in need. Now what's Jesus actually talking about in this passage? He's talking about being preoccupied with the material stuff of life. And we're preoccupied with the material stuff of life. We fall into the trap of centering our minds and hearts and energy and efforts on this stuff. And when you center your mind and your heart and your energy and effort on this stuff, I promise you, you are going to be laid low by it, consumed by it. We're not to be wrapped up and tangled in the things of this world. When Paul writes to Timothy, young pastor in 2 Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are called pastoral epistles. They're instructions to pastors. What, what's the church? How does church function? How does a pastor lead? Those epistles are written for that purpose. And one of the things that Paul writes to Timothy about, he says, don't get entangled in the things of this world. It's going to distract you. And they'll consume you. As Christians, we're not to be groping for more and more stuff and hoarding more and more stuff for ourselves. We're not to seek first the stuff of this world 
but rather God's kingdom and his righteousness. He's talking to us about being so wrapped up in securing things that we become anxious and disturbed and sleepless. I just can't get to sleep, Pastor. Pray for me. I can't get to sleep. I say, if you can't get to sleep, read your Bible. Lay in bed, prop yourself up on a pillow, open your Bible, start reading your Bible. I promise you, you'll go to sleep. (laughs) Not for the reason you're laughing, obviously. (laughs) Because there's a shift in your thoughts, a shift of the focus. You're laying there tossing and turning, "Ah, ah," consumed about whatever. You got a test tomorrow. I got to pass this test. I can't get to sleep. I got to make this deal. I got to do this. I got that responsibility tomorrow. All of us have been there, right? Haven't we? Rather than tossing and turning on your bed, just turn the light on, open your Bible, and start reading. I promise you, before you know it, you wake up in the morning, it'll be on your chest. You'll be going, (laughs) drooling all over yourself. Being focused on the things of this world keeps us from walking in the fullness and enjoyment of this life that God intends. There's a personal peace and a joy that comes from God that he means for us to experience as we walk through life. Do you think the devil wants us to experience that? No. Jesus said, I came and you should have life and have it meagerly. No, have it to the full. He says, I've set you free. I've come to set you free. He said on the cross, it is finished. The door to the kingdom and the door to a whole brand new life is open. And yet we don't lift our focus. And we get all mired down in this thing, this stuff, this world, all the cares of this world. We get so wrapped up in securing things that we become anxious, we become disturbed and sleepless. Just so frustrated. Just so frustrated. Whoa. Really? You know, when I hear that, people tell me that. I'm just so frustrated, Pastor. I said, I think your focus is in the wrong place. <laughs> I don't think that God means you to be frustrated. I don't think he means you to be anxious. You see, he wants you to walk in the fullness and the enjoyment of life as he's designed it. Worry and anxiety can cause horrible physical symptomology. It doesn't just result in sleeplessness. It can result in headaches. It can result in ulcers, high blood pressure, heart attacks. People can worry themselves sick. So consumed when life is right there to be had. Just shift your focus. Shift your focus. Don't be so consumed with getting. With getting. 
that we end up thinking very little of God. And again, if our focus is all about getting, we have very little time to truly think about him. You see, fear of not having enough and spending all of our time trying to get more and more causes unbelief. Think about it. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaches the parable of the sower and the seed. Do you recall that? Talks about the farmer who's, who, who, who casts the seed on, on the different kinds of soil. And one of those soils was thorny soil. Weeds would grow up, thorns and thistles. And he likens the thorns and the thistles in that soil to the cares of this world and to the deceitfulness of riches. He said, and the effect of those things is such that they choke out the word. Now, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The word of God. Now, if the, if the word of God is choked out, what happens to a person's faith? You become, in effect, a functional unbeliever. And all because you've been, you've been concerned about things here. You can talk the good story. You can say the right stuff, but down deep inside where only you know and God knows where you live, down deep inside you really are full of doubt. You worry and fret. You are a functional unbeliever. A person who works to gain more and more security in this life and we do that. That's a natural thing for, for human beings. We, we work to feel secure. We, we have a need to feel secure, don't we? It's a genuine personal need. But God says, oh, I'll, I'll meet that need. I'll meet that need for your security. You trust me. You be responsible. You work. But you, you're not working for security. You understand the difference between the two? And a person who does that really, really never knows God because all they know is they're working for security when God is saying, all right, go, try to, try to be secure. Make yourself secure. When God says, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. Trust me. Am I, am I saying anything that's hitting a responsive chord anyway? How many want to really know God? Not just know about Him. Know Him. God, I want to know you. I want to know you. Shift the focus. Make Him truly the focus of your life. How many want to know God's love and care, really? I had my heart warmed by his love there is nothing nothing like knowing his love and experiencing it you can know about it you say well god loves me the bible says so okay i'm gonna walk in that that walk by faith (laughs) yeah but there's some part of me that wants to know that love every husband tells her i love you i love you i told you last week i loved you But 
But it's one thing for a husband to say to his wife, I love you. It's another thing for her to feel his love and to feel loved. True? I'm always asking wives. I said, do you feel loved? Do you feel loved? Tell husbands. I said, ask your wife. Do you feel loved? <laughs> Guys are going, do I dare ask that question? You never learn that God looks after you unless you learn to trust him. You never learn it. Jesus tells us that if we are so entangled with affairs of this world, we ultimately forget eternity. Why? Because we're so focused on this life. You know the old saying, out of sight, out of mind? We're not focused because all of our absorption is on this life and, and accumulating, accumulating, or worrying about accumulating or not accumulating. Worrying. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Every time we say that, I can hear the echo. Yeah, but, yeah, but if I don't worry about it, then who's going to... Who indeed? Your Heavenly Father. You can rest. You can trust Him. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body. We're going to dive more deeply next week into the rest of the text, but let me say this to you. Taking care of the body has always been a common obsession with us, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Even when we're not starving or thirsty or naked, we still give an inordinate amount of attention to our bodies. What do you mean? We pamper it. Anybody here pamper their body? Every hand ought to go up. How do we pamper it? We decorate it. True? We decorate it. We want it to look good. We exercise it. We try to protect it from damage and pain. We build it up. We slender it down. We drape it with jewelry. We try to keep it warm or cool. We train it to work and to play. We try to help it to get enough sleep. And a hundred other things to serve and satisfy our bodies. Think about it. All the energy, all the time that we invest in our body. We're obsessed with the body. We're caught up very often with the world's idea, even as Christians, that we live because of our bodies, and hence we end up living for our bodies. Whoa. Think about that. And even when we know better, it's still very often the way we act. Our bodies in and of themselves are not a source of anything. They don't give us life, but they are given life by God. Are we to be good stewards over them? Absolutely. But we're not to obsess about them. We're not to worry about them. We're not to fret over them and be anxious. 
God is the source of all life, be it spiritual life, be it physical life, be it emotional life, be it intellectual life. So whether he gives us more or he gives us less, we are what? Content. Whether he gives us more or gives us less, we learn to be content. That's a huge guard against worrying and anxiety. We learn to be content. Thank you, God. We thank him for what he's provided. Thank you, Lord, for for what you've given me. Thank you. The fact that you can do that genuinely from your heart is an expression that you are content. Thank you. It's a guard against worry and anxiety from creeping in and taking hold. We thank him for what he gives. And we use it wisely and unselfishly for as long as he entrusts us with it. Because stuff can be taken like that, can it? Lord, I'm going to be a faithful steward as as long as you entrust me. I'm going to be a faithful steward of what you entrusted to me. We're not to worry. We're not to be anxious about anything. Anything. And when a need arises, we know that our Father, who knows that need, our Father will supply. He'll meet the need. He'll meet the need. It's an exercise in us learning again to trust him so that we know him better. And we experience his care. And we experience his love. We know that he will provide. And so while we wait upon him to provide, we at the same time work on, don't we? We're not dead in the water. We stave off worry, we stave off anxiety, we trust him, we wait upon him, and we work on, always trusting him. Amen. Amen. Next week, part two. Thank you, Father. We love you today. We thank you that you love us. Thank you that you know everything about us. Thank you that your purposes for us are good and pleasing and perfect. Thank you for Jesus, who makes it possible that we can be in your family, the object of your love and your care, your provision. Lord, you know all the things that we're concerned about. Open our eyes so that those concerns don't swing over into worry and anxiety and we lose our true focus on you. Protect your church, I ask, oh God. We love you this morning. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment or two more. I'm gonna, I want to give an opportunity for anybody here this morning that you, you may know about God, but maybe you don't really know him. And you've not really experienced his love and his grace and his kindness in your life. The Bible tells us that we're, we're in need as we talked about this morning, we're in need of of God in our life. That he becomes the focus, really. And we know how easily distracted we can be. But there may be some this morning here who 
you quite frankly are becoming very, very aware of your need for him. And I just want to, I just want to pray with you this morning.